Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Welcome in to another edition of MCM Radio. I am Jimmy Morris, joined as always by Terry Lambert. Terry, how are you tonight? Doing well. What's going on, Jimmy? Not too much. Uh, tonight we are also going to be joined by Paul Kuharski of paulkuharski.com in the midday 180. Bring him up in a minute. Before we do that, remind you to get our show. Just search for Music City Miracles uh, on wherever you get your podcast, and you'll get our show. You'll get Titans Film Room Radio as well. Um, so subscribe to that feed. You get both shows. You can obviously check us out. MuseumMiracles.com is where we have all of our stuff that is written. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at JMorrisMCM. Terry is at T Lambert TN. So without further ado, we will bring up Paul Kuharski. Paul, how are you? I'm well, boys. And Jimmy, you're, uh, I appreciate your very precise pronunciation of my last name. It's better than, uh, than 9 out of 10 people do, even in the media. Well, well, good. I'm glad that I could. I'm glad that I could work that out for you. I think I, I guess I've heard you say it enough um, on the show and stuff that I tried to try to do it well. But well, anyway, that doesn't help. Um, that doesn't help plenty of other people. So. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, all right. So what we're gonna do tonight is just like we normally do when we have a guest on. Uh, Terry and I will kind of go back and forth with questions. We have. I mean, basically the bulk of what we're going to see from the Titans that matter in the preseason now, I'm not expecting anyone of any consequence to play on Thursday night. So um, we, we, I guess we know as much as we're going to know before we head into week one. And so kind of with all that being said, my first question is, what have we learned about this team that we didn't already know throughout training camp and the preseason? I feel like we, we have a lot of questions but I'm not really sure that we have any of those answered to this point. I think probably the biggest answer uh, is that we've learned how little it cares about uh, three preseason games, probably. Um, I mean, I think the bulk of the evaluation has taken place in-house. I think they put a premium on those two practice days against the Patriots. Uh, I certainly think there's some stuff that's been taken from the preseason. Um but I, I was just thinking, you know, um, coming out of OTAs and minicamp, I was asking Vrabel about, you know, how little they knew about the run game, and he was saying, you know, we don't even really try during this unpadded stuff to to pretend to learn about the run game based on the restrictions that we face. We just save it for later. You know, and then Derrick Henry, you know, pulls his cap or whatever it is he does in the very first individual practice of camp, and he's out for the bulk of it and has only resurfaced in the within the last week, really, and we haven't seen him in a game. Um, and that outside zone featuring him is going to be a huge part of what they do offensively, and we haven't really seen it executed, certainly not against um, an opponent. And so we still don't really know anything about that run game, and we certainly don't have any feel for if Derrick Henry is going to be December Derrick Henry or September Derrick Henry from last year. And so yours is a very good question. We don't, uh, I don't think we know hardly a thing about that. Um, 
and uh, you know, a particularly offensive line, which is a big question mark coming in, and particularly uh, edge pass rush, which was a big question mark coming in. I don't think that we have uh, much additional information um, from really the start of, of the offseason outside of the, the additions in personnel and the things that they've told us. I don't know that there's uh, a heck of a lot of evidence uh, to, to build on. Paul, last night was just a disaster. You know, it was really hard to watch. Um, you know, I found it pretty funny, the, the reaction to Marcus Mariota on, on Twitter. You know, people saying they're out on him. Like, this like this game was the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back. But when I watched that game, I saw the, the offensive line really struggle. Um, and, and, you know, that... That, to me, is really worrisome with what we've seen from Mariota and the injuries over the last few years. How are we supposed to have any confidence in this offensive line uh, going forward with what we saw last night? Yeah, that game was really akin to him not playing um, so long as he didn't get hurt. Um, You know, it's funny. I I had a Periscope Facebook Live tonight with members, and uh, even in there, and I had gotten some of this on, on Twitter today, uh, you know, questions about Keith Carter. It always amazes me how we skip right past the players to the position coach, you know. Um, so I, 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 how do we skip past Dennis Kelly being lousy in three games? How do we skip past Roger Saffold getting run over two weeks in a row this week by a safety? And we go straight to the position coach. It's Keith, Keith Carter. When did we start talking about Keith Carter? Well, uh, and maybe at some point we start talking about Keith Carter, but don't we talk about Dennis Kelly and Roger Saffold first? Don't we talk about that, that nobody stepped up at right guard first? Don't we talk about Nate Davis going AWOL for the better part of two or three weeks first? Uh, I do. I certainly do before I start talking about a, a, a position coach. Um, and look, the offensive line's been, you know, in 2016 it was really good. Um, and it's come to... <laughs> It's come to be clear that that was the fluke year, not the uh, the new standard, because it's gotten worse and worse since. And then they they gave up on both the guards, Spain, who was you know at least serviceable at some points in time, and Klein, who got overpaid off of that 2016 year, and at least John Robinson had the good sense to give up on him. Um, you know, Saffold should be. Good. I don't know if he's going to be, you know, as good as as the contract, but he should be a significant upgrade. Um, right guard, you spend a third round pick on him. I expect him to be in the lineup relatively soon, whether he's from a small school or not. I mean, not all positions are created equal, and not all third round picks are created equal. But I expect a relatively quick starter out of a third round pick, with Kevin Byer being the high side of that. But um, you know, we're not going to see Davis anytime soon. And, um, you know, that's that's a core issue for this team that seems unresolved. Uh, Blake Bettingfield gives Ben Jones good reviews, and I give what Blake Bettingfield writes at my site and says on the Midday 180 a good deal of heft. But, um, you know, and I'm no offensive line expert, but I, I don't feel it from Ben Jones either. And so the interior's messed up, and Taylor Lawrence put this uh, this team in a really bad spot. Do you think there's still a scenario where we see them come out in week one with, I mean, Levin at center and they move Ben Jones out to guard? I mean, we saw that at one point last year, and and I don't know 
I mean, Palm Field's been a problem. Like you said, Sapple has two, Kelly has two. I mean, there's a lot to that. But how, how much do you think what they're going to do when the season starts is still in flux? Well, I mean, Variable came out today and said it's still right guard still in flux. Uh, I know Teron Davenport asked that question um, today on Monday, you know, <clears throat> if that scenario is still in play or if that might be the best scenario. And I think a lot of us are hard-pressed to believe it wouldn't potentially be one of the better scenarios. You know, is Levin at center, uh, you know, potentially a, a upgrade over Jones? And then is Jones not potentially better at right guard than Palmfield or Jamil Douglas, who's not uh, particularly been impressive, or, or Stinney, who hasn't really been in the rotation there, and I think it's a long shot to make the roster now. You would like at least, <clears throat> if all these options at right guard are not good, you would at least like them to have stacked themselves. I think they've only stacked themselves by process of elimination, it seems to me. Uh, you know, Palmfield's got the most experience, and, uh, you know, he's been around the longest, and they've got the longest ties to him, and he played some, some important snaps for them in the early part of last year before he got hurt. He's connected to Robinson all the way back from Tampa Bay and all of that. But uh, I'm, I'm not averse to the Levin-Jones scenario myself, uh, but maybe it's just because we've seen the least of that one. So we've got more faith that, hey, maybe that's better than what we have seen because what we have seen hasn't been very good. Shift gears to the outside here. Uh, you know, top four spots at receiver pretty much set. Um, but, you know, Taewon Taylor is a guy that's been uh, well discussed this preseason. You know, you go back to his disaster of a game uh, in, in week one. Uh, is he in any danger? Uh, and what do you think about a guy like Khalif Raymond? What, what are his chances of maybe taking Taewon's spot? Yeah, I find it hard. Look, I could be wrong, right? This isn't based on reporting. Nobody's really given me um, <clears throat> strong, strong tips on roster standing. It's not. It's not a spot where, um, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a lot of um, reporting ground to be gained. Um, but I, I think Taewon Taylor. First off, he's third round. You know, Robinson's done well at admitting mistakes. But a third-round pick in his third year, that's a big concession, I think. And I think he's the fastest guy in the receiving core. Um, and I think there's value in that, even if he's not catching a ball. And he made some big plays last year. I mean, I know there's some big plays that he failed to make last year, but he made some big plays last year. I, I think if you have at least a, a trait that is unique amongst your position group, there's value in that, and so I see value in Taewon Taylor as the guy who a safety has to worry about, whether you're catching the ball or not. I mean, at least he's affecting the coverage to some degree sometimes, right? You can put him out there on certain stuff, and you know the secondary has to be honest about him. E even if you say, well, they have no faith that he's going to catch the ball whatsoever. It's not like they can just let him go. But, you know, they're gonna, If you let them go, they're going to throw the ball to him over the top, and Maybe he catches it, and if he catches it, you look like, you know, you can't let the guy go. He's faster than Khalif Raymond. He, he's got a skill that Khalif Raymond doesn't have. I, I know some people have thrown 40 times at me that maybe Khalif Raymond ran as fast as Taewon Taylor, but I, it doesn't look it to me. 
And I think Khalif Raymond's another one of these guys that, that fans just get caught up in. I said this earlier tonight in my broadcast again, like, Khalif Raymond's pretty good at catching the ball. And it seems to me we've gotten to a place with Titans receivers, and I understand it, believe me, nobody's bemoaned the status of Titans receivers over the last 20 years more than I have. But we're to a point now where a guy catching the ball is a hero to the people. Um, and I need more, <laughs> uh, especially when you've got Davis and Humphreys and, um, and, and A.J. Brown now as the top three. I think those three should be pretty good receivers, right? Ideally, that's the best three-pack that you've had in a while. I have trouble with faith, you know, automatic faith in A.J. Brown. But those three should be pretty good receivers. So in an extra guy, I need more than Raymond offers, and I, I, I have a hard time seeing him knocking off Taewon Taylor, which probably just about guarantees that he will. All right, coming up, we continue our conversation with Paul Kuharski. So shifting to the defensive side of the ball, um, edge rusher has been an issue for this team for, I mean, it seems like a couple years now. Um, I really thought they needed to do more to address it than they did in this offseason. And I know that, you know, once we get into it, we'll probably see Rashawn Evans, and, and, you know, in that role some and, and all those kind of things. But you know, obviously Don, DeAndre Walker going on IR didn't didn't help anything. But do you think they have enough right now on the outside no. at pass rusher? Or are they gonna, is that going to be something they'll be looking to add after cutdowns? Well, I mean, I don't know how much there is to add, but I, I, I think they've got to add. I mean, Last time I went through the roster, I had a really hard time getting to 53, which is a crazy spot to be because I think it's a pretty good roster. But I think it's a pretty good roster before you get to the to the last 10 guys. And I'm a I'm a Finch believer. I like Finch. I'm a Wake believer. Like I think that's a a pretty good ad for for what he is. But it's hard to see Correa as a guy that's going to give a lot in the pass rush. Uh, we have, you know, Landry's become a ghost right now. And after that, you know, good luck. I mean, I have Roberson making the roster because somebody needs to make the roster. And, uh, and I have Bledsoe making the roster, you know, as, as part defensive end and part outside linebacker because somebody needs to make the roster. I, I don't know that either of those guys are really worthy of it. And, and I could see them looking outside for one or two, but I don't know what what kind of quality edge pass rusher you're getting when the entire league is looking for him, not looking to cut him. Um, so I'm with you. I think they should have done more. I think their hands are tied a little bit because everybody's looking to do more and you can only address so much stuff. Um, then they get a draft pick hurt, like you referred to there with Walker. Um, you know, I think Evans will be on the edge, but think about it. You know, you, Wesley Woodyard twists an ankle and you're down an inside linebacker and Evans can't go to the edge. You know, you're not putting Bates out there, no matter how much they're trumpeting Bates being better. <laughs> I don't know that you're getting long out there anytime soon as an inside linebacker, though, though maybe. Um, so they're, they're dangerously thin in terms of the guys that can really get back there. And I just think that, that Vrabel and Pease really think that they can scheme things up. Um, that Casey... Uh, can do damage there, that those edge guys with schemed-up stuff can get back there enough that Logan Ryan blitzing and, and other other DBs blitzing can get back there enough 
um, and that, you know, they can disrupt even when they don't sack or hit the quarterback enough. Um, but, you know, it's not that double-digit sack guy who everybody has to fear every snap and who creates um, a, a, that a blocking scheme has to revolve around. I wanted to get your perspective on Marcus Mariota um, and how things have changed since 2016. You know, he puts together the, the 26 touchdown year and, you know, everyone's feeling pretty good about him. He comes out, he gets hurt. Uh, is there one thing that you can kind of point to uh, that, that really messed him up and really stunted his growth? And I, I know he went underwent uh, coaching changes, you know, multiple offensive coordinators, the injuries, you know. Jimmy's always said that, that there's something about that broken leg. He was never the same after that. Is there something that, you know, you think really tipped him over the edge and, and, and got him stuck in this rut? Well, I know people are going to th- look at my answer and think it's kind of a self-serving answer because I want uh, I want something more from behind the microphone from him, um, which I do, but I, I know, you know, it's just not who he is. Um, but to me, you know, the thing that kind of threw me over the edge this offseason, and look, uh, you guys have, have you know, heard me talk about him and read, read me writing about him. Uh, I, you know, through probably the middle of last year, I've said I think the guy has a skill set and a mindset to be a, a winning quarterback in the NFL. Um you know, I know there were a lot, a lot, a lot of circumstances last year, but four-year sample size is a four-year sample size, no matter all of the circumstances. And, you know, his circumstances are his circumstances, and the body of work has just not been enough. And then to come into the fifth year and be asked, you know, what's your change in approach here? You know, you're heading into this huge fifth year, everything on the line, make it break it thing with the team that's drafted you and handed you the reins um, you know uh, franchise tag out there or a new contract what's what's different how, how do you change things you know and for him to say I'm not changing anything I'm taking the same approach I, I just think it's ridiculous I, I, I'm sorry and if people think that's me making it about what I want to hear so be it I don't understand how you don't say, I'm turning over every rock. I'm trying everything imaginable because the things that I have done through my first four years have not served me well enough to be good enough. But to just stand up there and say, no, I'm doing the same stuff. I'm taking the same approach. To me, that kills me. I I don't see how fans can stand for that at all. And I don't care if it's meaningless, like just get through the 10 minutes thing. Uh, To me, that that's where he loses me. How, how can you stand... Uh, what other player would Tennessee Titans fans have given four years to, been unsatisfied with the result of, but want desperately to succeed and be satisfied with the guy saying, my approach is going to be exactly the same. To, to me, that's somewhat of a tipping point. Right. E- even if it's just a bad talking point. I, I don't understand how he could hear it come out of his mouth and think that makes sense to say. So on that, I wonder. I mean, he obviously he put on weight this off season, right? And he didn't reference that. So I mean, I I think the I don't know. Like you said, you want more from him. It's just I, I mean, I think he I think he did some things differently this off season, but I don't know why he won't 
say it. I, I don't know if it's just a thing like he doesn't want to admit that he hasn't been good enough. I, I don't. I don't really know what it is. But like I'm, I'm, I'm some sort of lack of self awareness that is not a good quality for a quarterback to have. Yeah. Okay. So with Mariota, um, you know, obviously, I mean, we all know that those of us here know he, he's the starter week one. There's no question about that. You know, if, if we get similar production through, you know, a few weeks here that we had last year, how long do you think it would take them to turn to Ryan Tannehill? Because, I, I mean, there's not a quarterback controversy. I mean, I think we all know that. But, and you've said this, and, and anybody that looks at it and has common sense can see that they're obviously not committed to Marcus Mariota. They haven't given him a contract. So I do think that they probably that he probably would have a short leash. At what point do you think they would say, okay, we've seen enough, let's try the other guy? Yeah, I, it's a great question. I mean, I think there are all kinds of variables to it. Just how badly is he playing? How well is the defense playing? How well is the run game playing? Uh, how healthy is he? How well is Tannehill doing with, whatever limited reps he is getting and or at running the scout team, you know, even if there's a little bit to be drawn from that. Um, uh, how's the rest of the division doing? You know, is somebody starting to run away with it or are things pretty even? Um, so I, I think you got to throw all of that into the stew, so to speak. Um, and I don't know that there's a, a hard line there. But I do think even last year uh, we saw that once kind of um, Vrabel was forced to turn to Gabbert, uh, even, even the first time, uh, you know, and he waited maybe a throw too long in Miami the first time where he let him give it a go when they, when they were coming out of the lightning delay after, after the, the nerve. Um, issue when he got stepped on on the inside of his arm. Um, he's not afraid to kind of say, well, you know, he's just not the guy for us right now, and I'm going to the alternative, and that was a bad alternative. So he's got a significantly better alternative now. He's pretty no-nonsense. Like, he's not going to stick with it out of sentiment and all of that. The thing is, you know, and Jeff Fisher was an absolute extremist on this. Floyd Reese was, too. Um, the idea that once you go away from the starter, all is lost in terms of getting him back. I, I think they were too much that way, but I think you got to be wary of being too much the other way. Um, not so much for losing Marcus, because I think Marcus would, you know, Marcus will be there if, if you come back to him. But it confuses the locker room, and there is something to that, you know. If you take it away from him after your, I, I don't know, one, one and two, one and three, and it's been bad, and then you go to Tannehill, and Tannehill, you know, gives you something, but then Tannehill gets hurt, which Tannehill has propensity to do himself, or Tannehill plays well for a while but then takes a turn, or any of these scenarios that we're talking about with Marcus, which could just as well happen with Tannehill, given a stretch of Tannehill, who's Marcus-like, right? Um, then if you're circling back and you're asking the team to, hey, you were with Marcus, and then we asked you to go with Tannehill, and now we're asking you to go back with Marcus, when you want the team to kind of follow a singular leader, 
of course, they're going to go with who you tell them to go with, but I think it is kind of a little bit, and tell me if you guys think I'm crazy here, I think it's a little bit of a yo-yo factor for guys in terms of, sure, we're going to follow who you put in the huddle, who's giving us the signals, but there's a lot more to the leadership thing, and bouncing back and forth between guys can be taxing. And uh, I, I think there's something to that that, that Vrabel and Smith are going to have to factor in if, if this thing becomes uh, a factor this year, which, which is going to become a factor at some point, probably because of injury, but maybe because of performance. Am I, yeah. am I crazy there? you think I put too much into that? I think there's... No, I, I think you're. I think you're. Yeah, I think you're right on that. And you know, we saw last year was it the Jets game where they switched up the offensive line like a halftime or something like that, and then they went back to the, the old lineup, so to speak. You know, the next week. So yeah, he's it all looked pretty good, right? It was right, better yeah. with Levin and Jones, right? Yeah, he's obviously not afraid to do that. But like you're saying, I think it's a, it's a different deal when you're talking about the quarterback. Um, just I mean, really for all the reasons that you mentioned. And like you said, I don't know if, if that – in doing that, if it would start to, you know, create some types of divide in the locker room as far as, you know, who guys are with and that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how much there is to, to any of that stuff, but you, you hear that kind of stuff all the time. And so I just think it's interesting. And then just one real quick follow-up before Terry goes again. Um, I, I, I'm of the opinion that, you know, based on what we've seen from Marcus for, you know, the last two-plus years – and what we know about Tannehill, just from, from what he's been able to do, I don't know that there's a, a huge difference in the two guys. Um, I think they're actually pretty similar, uh, just as far as you know what, what their careers have been so far. What have you seen? I mean, you've been out there at practice every day. I mean, has, does Marcus look like clearly the better quarterback, or is it closer than people would, would realize? Well, again, you got to put context into it, right? I can't remember who one of the – one of them now, oh, it's Chris Sims, who said, you know, they're equal athletes. They're not equal athletes at all. Marcus Mariota is a superior athlete. Now, I know that's not the biggest, uh, you know, the biggest check mark that you're looking for. Marcus is a better athlete. Um, you know, there are days where Tannehill, uh, you know, you could say he's better, but the, the Marcus is always with the better people, and he's always going against the better defense. So, um, you, you know, that all factors in. Also, it, it always factors in to me that Tannehill's already had his chance and blew it. He got the big contract, and the team he got the big contract from was so eager to get rid of him that it's paying a big chunk of his salary in order to have the pleasure of choosing between Ryan Fitzpatrick and Josh Rosen. Marcus hasn't reached that point yet. So just on the, the, the hourglass time, that's a factor. But I think Marcus, still, it's fair to look at him out there and think that he's got more upside and that when you see his best moments, you think um, that's that when he's going like that, you can see you can see the potential for it to to snowball into something big. And with Tannehill, you've already you already kind of know what what it is when it gets there. It's big. We've seen 88 games worth of that. Um, so, so for me, you know, I, I've never got all that excited about it because I, I'm looking at it from the perspective where, uh, you know, this is the fifth year and the decide year on Mariota, and I don't think they're they're looking to decide uh, on a super fast timetable. They're looking to decide 
on a more long-term timetable. Now, does the division change in a way where, you know, over the course of this season and over the course of, of uh, luck disappearing and Lamar Miller, who I don't think is that great of a player, but maybe he changes the face of the Texans a little bit more than I think. Uh, those, those moves opening the door more um, for the Titans to go and get it and quarterback play being a potential difference for them. Um, I don't think Brable's going to be a guy that sits back and, and lets that happen if he if he thinks they're um, that close. But the thing is, I think they have to be a little bit more than that close. If they're that close, then I think they play Mariota. I think Tannehill's got to be better. The backup's got to be do something to overtake the lead guy, or the lead guy's really got to be bad to be overtaken by the backup. Yeah, you touched on my last question there a little bit. Obviously, Andrew Luck retiring was the huge news. Uh, just give me your pulse of, of this division. You know, you've got Jacksonville. Uh, who knows what they are? Who knows what you're going to get out of Nick Foles with him out of Philadelphia? Uh, is is Houston going to have enough offensive line? You know, I, I mean, Indy's got a good enough roster to where they could contend and get into contention, at least, with Jacoby Brissett. Uh, how do you kind of handicap the AFC South now? Uh, post-luck retirement? Well, I still lean a little bit Houston, I think. Um, but, you know, they're down Clowney, who it sounds like is not going to play for them no matter what. Um, they're down Miller, who, like I said, I don't particularly love. Um, and their offensive line stinks, but maybe they wind up with a, with a good offensive lineman out of, a, out of a Clowney deal here, which could shift things back in their favor a little bit. I'm not wild about Deshaun, but I think he's, you know, probably the most dynamic guy in the division with the most upside, and he's done pretty damn well when he's been out there. And I do like Bill O'Brien, though he got embarrassed by Vrabel in the head-to-head week two last year. It was week two, right? Um, So I'd give them the slight edge, though begrudgingly. Um, I'd say the Titans, two now. Um, so I, I'm I'm not all the way bought in because I, I I think while they've gotten themselves better at spots, I have serious Mariota doubts. Uh, I have offensive line doubts and I have pass rush doubts, and those are big big spots. Uh, Jacksonville, I think Foles will wind up hurt, and their their second quarterback's what a sixth or seventh round pick, um, which is just. Uh, deadly so i mean i think they'll probably tie for third and i think the colts are still a very good football team i just don't know that Brissett is uh you know it's obviously a huge drop off um but chris ballard you know might be the best gm in the division uh, and that's been a heck of a roster build so i think it's a pretty well balanced division i just think you know, it looked to, it used to look like a pretty well balanced div- division with a couple teams that could win eleven games, and now it looks like a pretty well balanced division with maybe the dreaded couple nine and seven teams again. Um, you know, this team, good to great. I don't know. I think it's right again. Looks like a nine win team. Can it push that to ten or eleven? Maybe. Could it drop to eight or seven? I think. Uh, you know. The injuries are going to tell the story on that as much as anything, and maybe the schedule. You know, the schedule never turns out to be as bad or as great as it looks. So does this one turn out to be as bad as it looks? 
you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if New Orleans is going to be as great as it was last year. I don't know if Kansas City is going to be as great as it was last year. I, t- I tend to think no on both, but it's hard to find teams that are better than those right now. Do we know anything about Harold Landry? I mean, uh, you're joking about how you got elected to ask the question last week, but have they ever admitted There's that no there is an hurt. injury? There's no way he's not hurt. Right, I mean, yeah. I, I watched him the last day. I was watching Titans defense the second day of the Patriots thing. I, I watched him take on some 6 7 325 uh, offensive tackle who he beat with a really nice, you know, Harold Landry move, not one of his new moves, his old move. Uh, he did a very nice job getting to Brady on that. I haven't seen him since. So there's no such thing as a as a full week of rest and a third game off for a second-year player on a maintenance program. So my question to Vrabel after that on the day I was told it was my turn was, is it his ankle acting up again or is it something new? You know, he gave me the standard, you know just needed the day today and i said and yesterday and the day before and the day before and the three games um but something's up and that's the most mysterious uh that nate davis are the most mysterious i promise you i'm working as hard as i can on the injuries i got flu and hopefully i'd get these but the clock's ticking on me now because a week from wednesday you know if they're not practicing fully they're going to be on the injury report so i'm racing against that to to find out a body part at least i did better last off season when i got um when i got richard matthews and i got Derek morgan right around this time of preseason so uh advantage kuharski 18 <laughs> versus kuharski 19 on, on preseason injuries i guess i i missed the story on fluel and what's what's the deal with him well had knee surgery um i don't know that it's the knee from last year it seems like a safe leap in logic but uh had knee surgery could be slash should be ready for opening week i would think um you know i know a lot of people are in love with jeremy mcnichols i don't see fluellen getting unseated as third but if fluellen's in doubt for week one then you would think mcnichols is definitely on the roster to be the third third running back in cleveland and uh and then you see his fate from there um but I, I would think they're hopeful that uh, that Fluell will be ready to go for that game, and then McNichols' decision will be made on whether they keep a fourth running back. Um, and if they keep a fourth running back, you know, odds of them having four running backs active on opening day, I would think, are low. Yes, yeah, so that was going to be my question. I mean, if you think, like you said, I think if Fluell healthy, he's there definitely over McNichols. But you think at this point they they kind of have to keep McNichols, right? If if Fluell is not going to be ready to go early on. Yeah, I would think that, um, I don't know, maybe, you know, if we would, I don't know that it's for sure, but, I you know, if we saw Flewellen at least on a side field tomorrow, that would be a, a good hint. Um, but I think it was more than just a cleanup, because if it was just a cleanup, you know, it's usually a two-week deal, and it's been it's been more like three, three and a half at this point, I think. So um, I think it was a... a a notch more than a than a cleanup, uh, I'm guessing. But I know for a fact he had uh, had surgery, and um, you know the, the initial two people I talked to were very confident that he would be back on opening day. Um, but then the third person I talked to made me pull back on on that degree of certainty. 
All right, well, Paul, we really appreciate you taking the time tonight to join us. A lot of good information, as always. Fun talking to you guys. I appreciate it. Appreciate uh, the shout-outs for the site and, and for the show, and uh, we appreciate having you in the audience. Yeah, and uh, I, I forgot to mention Elsewhere, the podcast. Uh, I've been listening to those. Those are good. Um, I, I really, like, I, I told you, I, I really like the one on polarization. I thought that was a really good topic, something that we see just in pretty much everything we interact with these days. But uh, so check that out as well. That's, I guess, wherever you get podcasts, right? You can get that. Yep, I'm having a lot of fun doing those, and it's, uh, it's a, I think you would agree, a kind of a different side of me where I go uh, something completely different that's uh, not typically sports related at all. Um, and hopefully a quick listen that, uh, you know, like my other pod and like, uh, like the midday 180 podcast and get you through a workout or a commute. So, uh, subscribe to that and, uh, have it queued up and waiting for you like this podcast and like all these great podcasts that are out there. There's so much to choose from, but, uh, get it in your queue. There you go. All right. So again, that's Paul Kuharski, paulkuharski.com and the midday 180. Um, so that'll do it for tonight's episode of MCM Radio. Again, uh, you can get our show wherever you get your podcast. Just search out Music City Miracles, and you'll find our feed there. It also includes Titans Film Radio. So for Paul Kaharski, for Terry Lambert, this is Jimmy Morris saying thanks so much for listening, and we will talk to you again later.